now destroying the Marvel release schedule. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, fighting the good fight and reviewing the latest in nerd culture. Nerds the worlds of, gaming, horror, TV, and film, have collided right here, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is David. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down episode three of Ahsoka, and we've got all your latest news and nerd. I finally got my hands on Starfield, and we're giving you our predictions for AEW All Out. Also, if that's not enough show for you, then after the episode, you should check out our Patreon, where starting this month, you will receive our best and worst of the week show, along with our bonus countdowns, reviews, and more all for the price of $4.99. Plus, we're now also offering a seven-day free trial, which will give you access to our 40-plus episodes of bonus content available right now. Just follow the link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow and help support our show today. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first we've got an update on Marvel's upcoming Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. My Time to Shine Hello this week broke another rumor this time, claiming both the head writers of Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, Jeff Loveness and Michael Waldron, have been removed from the projects. Other industry insiders like Casey Walsh have taken to social media to also confirm these claims, but no official statement has been put out by Disney, of course. Is this the case of just not being able to hold on to their contracts during the strikes, or is there other issues at play? So while recently, I know we've seen studios opt out of contracts um, when it comes to retaining talent and you know writers uh, for certain projects, just because it's not like financially feasible. Um, here, since it's just a couple of writers, I find that kind of highly unlikely, um, especially knowing what writers get paid, honestly. Uh, isn't that um, why we're striking right yeah, now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My guess would be that Marvel's not happy with the response and maybe the vision of some of the projects that you know these two have worked on recently. We know Loveness was the writer on Quantumania, you know, which went over like a lead balloon. And Waldron was the writer on Multiverse of Madness, which also got mixed reviews to say the least. So I can understand why the studio wouldn't want to entrust these writers with, you know, two of the biggest films of this current phase. Because as of right now, it doesn't feel like fans are truly invested in this ongoing storyline. And that's not to say that the writers should, you know, take 100% of the blame, because obviously it's a team effort. But at the same time, they need to get things back on track. And sometimes it just takes, you know, some new people in the room to do so. All right. Up next, we've got a rumor for a possible season two of She-Hulk. My Time to Shine Hello also gave a rumor that Disney Marvel is developing a second season of She-Hulk. The first season received some mixed reviews and wasn't the biggest hit for Marvel, especially as you know, far as the CGI work was concerned and really seemed to be like the catalyst for Disney's new attitude towards quality over quantity. But as the weeks continue to go on, it feels like more and more Marvel projects are being rumored for development. It just was a little surprising to see that, you know, She-Hulk season two is something that they're seriously considering. So bad CGI aside, you know, as a fan of She-Hulk in the comics, like I really enjoyed the series, but at the same time, I can understand why some people might've been turned off by it with just how like 
batshit crazy at one in the finale. I think they probably could have done a better job of putting the mission statement of the show up front and really letting people know it's almost like this Marvel-type parody um, series. Um, really just poking fun of all the tropes and everything like that. Because, yeah, we did get elements of that, you know, here and there. But then that finale went completely bonkers, and I think it just kind of caught a lot of people off guard. Whereas, like, with season two, I feel like they should really, like, lean into it all and let people know, like, right up front, like, this is the ride you're in store for. It would also be a missed opportunity to not have, you know, She-Hulk and Deadpool in a show together at some point. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, She-Hulk is the pioneer of breaking the fourth wall. So, um, you know, I mean, without She-Hulk, you probably wouldn't have a Deadpool. Um, so, no, 100%. Yeah, they, there should be a team-up episode, at least. But with all that being said, I mean, dear Lord, please get the CGI in check <laughs> before you even think about doing a season two. Take your time on it. Uh, really, really polish it, please. <laughs> we also got a story this week from Hollywood Reporter that all the upcoming Marvel shows scheduled for this year have been shifted, except for Loki Season 2, of course, which is coming out in October. That means What If Season 2, X-Men 97, Echo, and the now-renamed Agatha Darkhold Diaries are all being pushed into 2024. What If Season 2 is said to be airing on Christmas Day, while Echo has been moved from November to now January 2024. X-Men 97 is coming early 2024, while Agatha Darkhold Diaries is coming fall 2024. Meanwhile, it's still very unclear when Ironheart and Daredevil Born Again may be coming to Disney+. Plus. As while Ironheart is finished shooting, the production is still kind of halted because of the strikes, along with Daredevil, which was also in the middle of shooting when the strikes began. So it's really just up in the air when we might see those two series, which are both shows that I'm looking forward to. Just hopefully um, Disney and all of them come to the table with, you know, offers that really work for the writers and actors. All right, lastly, it looks like the Exorcist Believers release date has shifted. Well, it seems thanks to Taylor Swift, we are getting Exorcist Believer a week sooner, as after an announcement for her tour film gave us the release date of October 13th, apparently Blumhouse decided to move their film up to October 6th, with Jason Blum going as far to post, look what you made me do, in reference to the Taylor Swift song. On top of that, the hashtag Exorswift was trending this week, though that just sounds like a bad Bad time all around to me. Christian, I would have become a Swifty if she would have gotten this film canceled. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> I was more afraid that she had a song in the film. That's what I thought these articles oh. were really about. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. Uh -huh. um, I, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm probably still going to go see it. Uh, you know, just because I'm a sucker for a good exorcism movie. Um, and like you know with more and more promotional material coming out i mean you know how this works christian like <laughs> is it working is the new promotional material um, working for you i'm a fucking horror fan so i'm a sucker for this shit I, I you know i mean the one thing i'll say about blumhouse is they put together a good trailer um like i I have no doubt that this is probably going to be the drizzling shits, but something about, you know, horror in October, like going to see a horror film in October, um, is always just exciting. Um, you know, we had a huge drought for a long time where the only thing we were getting was like, you know, saw films or, you know, the mm -hmm. latest paranormal activity. 
movie, which I mean, nothing against either of those franchises, but I mean, for some reason, the other studios just refused to put out other horror films in October because of, you know, what mega successes, you know, those films were. Um, so I, I like the fact that we're, you know, seemingly getting more horror offerings for that month. Um, so I'll probably go and see it just because I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, but, you know, I do feel like it, like if you took the exorcist name off of the film and you just told me this was a new exorcism movie, I probably would be a lot more excited for it. Because here's the thing, like I'm not opposed to an exorcist sequel. Like we've had those in the past um, with mixed results. My biggest issue is the David Gordon Green of it all, especially after, you know, what he did with the Halloween franchise. Um, I mean, those last two movies in particular were just so god awful that how could I possibly be excited for another horror film, you know, helmed by him, especially like one of my favorite, you know, horror films of all time, The Exorcist. So, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, Halloween and The Exorcist are basically, you know, my top two horror films of all time, you know, so the fact that he's been entrusted <laughs> with both of them, I mean, is just infuriating to say the least. Um, like, I, you know, I had my issues with, you know, Halloween 2018. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan, but then, you know, Halloween Ends happened and Halloween Kills. I mean, holy shit what are we fucking doing here people um so the fact that they entrusted him with the exorcist is just mind-blowing to me because you know besides halloween i don't think there's another horror film that means more to me than the exorcist so i <laughs> uh, but i'm still gonna end up being in the theater with all that being said so you know i'm talking what, out both sides of my franchise mouth. What else can, like, David Gordon Green ruin for you? Like, oh, zombie movies? Oh, What's oh, next? No, Nightmare on Elm Street, like, Friday the yeah. 13th. I mean, yeah. <laughs> There's plenty more franchises that I love that he can just destroy and shit on. So, um, and that seems to be, you know, the route we're headed in. I mean, remember, yes. like, he's not only doing one Exorcist sequel. He's doing a whole trilogy, you know, once uh -huh. again. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, I'm not that guy where, like, one bad sequel ruins a franchise for me like i can compartmentalize but it's still frustrating at the end of the day and now for the nerds breakdown of episode three of ahsoka heavy spoilers ahead you have been warned the force resides in all living things even you if that's true then why doesn't everyone use it talent is a factor but training and focus are what truly defines someone's success we open this week's episode aboard Ahsoka's ship, a T-6 shuttle, where Sabine is training in the Zatochi lightsaber combat form as Ahsoka has Sabine put on a helmet that doesn't allow her to see anything in a similar fashion to how Luke was trained by Obi-Wan in A New Hope. However, instead of a little droid, Sabine is faced with finding Ahsoka in the room or gets struck by her. Sabine is quickly frustrated by this training and it seems that she uses her anger and wild strikes to try and find Ahsoka, but it's clear that her attunement to the force is still little to nothing here. First of all, I love a good Jedi training sequence, but what I think I love even more is a snarky ass droid. And that's exactly what we're getting with Hugh Yang. I mean, who the fuck is programming these droids to be such assholes? 
apparently the Jedi. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I got to agree with him, though. Like, Sabine's not very good at this, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I like the fact that we're going back to kind of the concept that anyone can be a Jedi, though. Like, anyone is worth training. And later on in the episode, we even have Ahsoka clap back at uh, Yu Yang when he uh, mentions that, you know, the Jedi Order would never in a million years train Sabine, someone like Sabine. Uh, and she mentions, well, that maybe that's why the Jedi Order failed. So I love that idea once again, because I feel like it brings it back to status quo with the original, you know, trilogy where, you know, Obi-Wan is saying, like, the Force is everywhere. So, I mean, I don't know. I I'm glad that we're going back to kind of big and we're getting away from, you know, Middle-Orient counts and all that shit. Because it doesn't mean that we're, you know, completely moving away from that concept either. Like, I mean, obviously there are people who at birth are, you know, naturally gifted at using it. But it, it makes it so that it's not just such a select group. That everyone can learn to be more in tuned with it. You know, it makes it more almost spiritual, if you will. Yeah, I think Filoni is finding the right middle ground with all that. You know, because... It bothers all of us, I think, as Star Wars fans, uh, the whole Minichlorian thing at this point. But it's um, just story-wise so stifling, too. Yeah. But with all that being said, I mean, Sabine has a lot of work to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is surprising because as a Mandalorian, you would think that she would just be a natural, but that is not the case. We then meet up with Hera as she gets on a comm with Mon Mothma and other New Republic senators. She reports her findings on Corellia and one of the senators in the most suspicious way possible immediately jumps in to say that not all Imperials are bad and that the facility here were outliers and not a representation of all the former Imperials that are currently working in the New Republic government. Yeah, I don't know if she was necessarily saying that they're not all bad. I think she's saying that we just have a lot of reformed Imperials working, you know, amongst us. Um, but she was definitely suspicious. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, that was way too quick of a response. Yeah, I mean, she was really quick to jump to their defense. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't find out that there are Imperial remnants, you know, within the Senate now. I mean, they've infiltrated every other aspect of the New Republic at this point. So exactly. I love seeing Mon Mothma, but she needs to get her shit together. I mean... <laughs> Like, as Chancellor, like, there's no reason why she shouldn't have been able to just overrule. I mean, knowing her history with Hera and crew, I would think that she'd be able to kind of, you know, force the issue a little more with her fellow, you know, senators. But maybe, like, you know, her lack of leadership in moments like this is one of the reasons for the downfall of the New Republic. When Hera requests aid in finding out what exactly is going on in the Danab system, another senator named Ziano is quick to, you know, assume that this is just another ploy from Hera to use Republic forces to help find Ezra, alluding to failed attempts in the past. I thought Hera really shined in this scene. I love when she called this dude out on his shit, like asking mm -hmm. if he ever fought in the war or if he just sat back and waited to see what side won. Um, I thought that was fantastic. And once again, it was another moment where Mary Elizabeth Weinstead actually felt like Hera from Rebels. But to go back to what you were saying about Mon Mothma a moment ago, it's just like you can't spare two people to just even go check 
to make sure you know i understand like it's yeah there's got to be a compromise an, right <laughs> it's like, yeah it's grand emerald thrawn and it seems like all your enemies are coming together like it's it ends one of your most trusted generals too you would think there's some weight there yeah and you would think like since she dealt with thrawn you know firsthand that she would know mm-hmm. what an insane threat he really is so you think that you would just err on the side of caution and at least investigate the situation after the meeting we meet a now older jason who is hera and kinjara from rebel's son jason is half twilight and half human though it seems that his human genes were the ones to be more dominant as the only thing really different about him seems to be his green hair jason asks if his aunt sabine is training to be a jedi as chopper told him of what happened on Corellia, and then claims he wants to be a jedi himself which being the son of one may be his future someday in the star wars universe yeah, I was, even in Rebels, I was thrown off by this character design. You would think they'd at least give him, like, tentacles or, like, give him green skin. Because I'm not a Star Wars biologist, but it just doesn't feel like this is how the DNA situation would work. Yeah, I mean, unless Hera's genes just suck. I mean, <laughs> it, you'd think there'd be something That's there. That's some weak-ass genes, man. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think at some point in the series they tease Jason uh, being Force-sensitive? I, I feel like they would have to, right? Because, I mean... It only makes he's sense. He's got to show some sign, right? I just, I'm afraid... Well, he's got you know, all where, his where other does... dad's genes. Yeah, so exactly. You would hope he at least get his midichlorian count. I just hope he doesn't end up, you know, being killed or something like that by the Knights of Ren oh, Jesus. in the future. I hope not. Uh, like, is there going to be a scene where, like, Sabine's struggling to get, like, the mug to move and then, like, he just comes by and, like, you know. Swoop. Exactly. Ahsoka and Sabine then have a sit down as Sabine relents in not being able to feel the Force in the way that Ahsoka does. Ahsoka explains the Force is in all living things just some are more capable of using it than others, which again points to the idea that anyone can be a Jedi. Moving a cup across the table, Ahsoka practically challenges Sabine to try and move it as well as she leaves the scene. Yep, and incepts Jason. Um, I know we already talked about it, but I, I, I really do like that Sabine's struggling with like tapping into the Force. That's just not coming easy to her. Mm-hmm. Because it'll make it an even bigger moment when she does figure it all out, right? Um, you know, like the rock scene in Obi-Wan, where in the heat of the battle, she all of a sudden kind of figures it all out. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the moment when Hati is telling her you don't have, you know, the abilities to use the force. Oh, and she's kind of got her on the back row that we saw yeah. that we saw in the trailer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I wouldn't mind her prevailing in that moment regardless, um, you know, just by her own like wits, if you will. Um, and like maybe it's something that they explore more if there's like a season two, like maybe it's something that she doesn't ever master um quite yet you know this season and you know maybe we just get like hints of it but you know if there's a season two that's something that they can keep on building story-wise yeah i just don't know if they're gonna do a season two with this you know i mean they are labeling it as a mini series but you know it's just like with how much is left till apparently the film i, I who knows what they're right really now to fit i in. think all bets are off especially now that we're hearing that uh mandalorian season four might end up just being a film um yeah who knows, right? It definitely feels like Kathleen Kennedy and crew are like, you know, reshuffling the deck, if you will. 
Continuing their travels in hyperspace, Hera calls in and explains the Senate has denied her request to commission a fleet, but as they enter the system, the signal gets jammed. And in the Denob system, Hugh Yang detects an unknown large ship on the other side of the planet. And it isn't much longer till Hati and Morak appear in what seems like World War II inspired ships, along with several other goons who begin firing upon Ahsoka. Sabine then gets in the gunner sheet, but can't really make a good shot on any of the enemies, as her and Ahsoka just aren't clicking as far as space combat goes. Ahsoka clears her head and decides to let Sabine take charge, which greatly improves their defense against them. I thought this was a real nice character moment for Ahsoka, you know, that she actually, like, realized that she need to trust, you know, Sabine here instead of being stubborn. Um, it felt like a moment that we would have gotten from Clone Wars between Anakin and Ahsoka. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, this show is going to kind of explore in those types of parallels, you know, between the characters. Yeah, except, you know, Anakin would have taken a lot longer to uh, <laughs> be, be patient with Ahsoka. And, yeah, in those early seasons, definitely. I think later on he started <laughs> to trust her more. But yes, in those first two seasons, yeah, you know, he had no patience whatsoever. The crew begins to get close to the Eye of Scion as they realize the ship is some form of hyperspace ring. Hugh Yang has them get even closer as so he can scan it and understand it better. This is when Morak and Hati pull off their chase so that Morgan can use her cannons. By the time Hugh Yang finishes his scan though, the ship takes major damage and power surges knocking out Hugh Yang and puts them in a drift. There's nothing more Star Wars than a good like you know, space dogfight. I thought this was really nicely done, and I think it was one of the better scenes of its kind in any of the Disney Plus, you know, shows so far. I mean, I forgot to mention it earlier, but I mean, these are all like homages to A New Hope, like the like, especially the first hour of that film. You know, with this scene kind of like being reminiscent of uh, the tractor beam sequence when the Death Star starts to pull them in everything like that like it just it really felt like Filoni was really drawing a lot from uh New Hope and then the the training sequence in the beginning of this you know episode mm -hmm. yeah I mean I could see that and I mean we all know Star Wars loves to pay homage to itself right <laughs> yes Hati and Morak then come in to finish the job as Ahsoka and Sabine scramble to fix the ship. Ahsoka then decides to go outside the ship to distract their attackers and even manage to take one out with her lightsabers as it flew by. So I guess some people were taken aback by Ahsoka rocking a spacesuit, doing a whole spacewalk and, and deflecting fire from, you know, these ships. But I thought it was awesome and it really was reminiscent of like something you would get from Clone Wars. So I, I don't know. I, I felt like it worked. Yeah, I, I was lost in the badassness of, of the moment. Right? Um, I mean, it makes sense that you, they would probably want to blow up the ship rather than attack Ahsoka. But at the same time, like she's out there doing what she said she was going to do. Distract them, you know? And I can see why they would be overcome by, you know, the urge to just kill Ahsoka since she's literally standing there mocking them. <laughs> Right? Uh -huh. <laughs> She's a city target, so I, I get it. I mean, it still made more sense than Rise of Skywalker when we had a whole battalion just running out in space with no, you know, armor or anything, you know, covering them. Uh, that was ridiculous. At the end of the film, uh, the Finn and his squad are just on top of a ship running oh, across yes. it with no helmets like, Wait, or anything like that. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, they had a whole fucking battle scene on, on top of a uh -huh. fucking Star Destroyer. I... I yeah. Huh. They didn't have spacesuits on, though, right? Nope. 
Not at all. <laughs> Interesting. Huh, like I'm not a Star Wars scientist once again, but I just I just don't feel like that's how that works. <laughs> Sabine gets the ship back in working order and helps Ahsoka get back into it. The pair then bolt down to the planet attempting to escape, but as they fly through the clouds of Danab, they run into the space whales called Purgle. Using the Purgle for cover, they are able to get out of Hati and Morak's line of sight long enough to land on the planet's surface. Sabine believes seeing the Purgle may have been a sign since the last time she saw them was when she last saw Ezra. Huyang explains that the Eye of Scion seems to be designed to follow the hyperspace lanes that the Purgle would use. Meanwhile, Skull sends troops into the forest to find Ahsoka as our episode comes to a close. So all in all, like, even though, you know, run time wise, this is, you know, a really short episode. I thought it was pretty effective storytelling wise. Um, and I loved how action packed it was. So um, I know a lot of people are complaining about, you know, it's short runtime, but it, it didn't really. Yeah, I was I was wondering if you felt that way, because I when I was watching it, I was like, I, I didn't feel that runtime. I felt like almost the same as the previous episodes until I realized, oh, yeah, this was only 30 minutes yeah no it didn't bother me at all because i mean they got a lot done you know there was enough mm -hmm. story progression and there was tons of action so i don't know man like as long as there's development and enough story like progression i'm totally fine with it i i don't need an episode to be 55 minutes just to be 55 minutes so this week um there's been a lot of theories out there that you know we might not only see thrawn but he might have like an alien race from this new galaxy, you know, as backup. Um, some think it could be the Yu Zhang Vong. Uh, they're from uh, Legends canon. So, um, I don't know. Like, also part of me feels like that would be a bit much, um, you know, to tackle in one series. And maybe that's something they tackle when they wrap up, you know, this like Disney Plus era of Star Wars in the film that they have planned because right now honestly it feels like if thrawn shows up with this alien race like the new republic would just be done for right off the bat oh yeah well I, any There's type such of a... attack right now for the new republic would just end the new Republic. they just seem so <laughs> ill prepared for everything uh -huh. that they would just be that they would just be you know sitting ducks so i, don't I know, know it sounds like we harp on the new republic a lot but it's just like we watched so many people oh, sacrifice no. their lives for this <laughs> well it's purposeful they're, they're showing why the downfall of the new republic uh -huh. happened you know that, that it's part of the story that they're inept at their fucking jobs you know but yeah as far as a, another alien race i mean it sounds like feloni had had some type of plans for um either the rebels or clone war series that would have involved them in some form or fashion but they just ended up cutting that episode out like they were going to be like spying oh the, on the republic Bob? yeah oh, they're okay. gonna be like spying on them for some reason so maybe there was some type of tie-in so if he's already into like into the characters i could see him wanting to use them in a future project and if it's something that's built at least up until the film you know at least like they play it up and it then i could see it working but yeah i mean as maybe, far as one series no yeah maybe <laughs> here they hint at it you know mm -hmm. tease it and then it gets paid off in you know the film that we know they're they're gonna do to wrap everything yes up. so um i could definitely see that but like like i was saying uh, another solid episode of ahsoka uh so far so good uh so make sure to join us next week as we break down episode four of ahsoka
All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. All right, this week in gaming was the big one. Starfield week is finally here for our Twitch channel. And as of recording this, I've put in about four hours into the game. For me, as a fan of the Bethesda game experience, it feels familiar, you know, it feels like home. It feels like, as everyone has been describing it, Fallout slash Skyrim in space, which is two franchises that I love. So it was an easy pickup for me. However, I will say the main story has been a little bit slow and hasn't really hooked me just yet. A lot of reviewers are claiming that it takes a little while before, you know, you actually get hooked into this game. You know, unlike Skyrim and Fallout that had like these big moments that in their very first, you know, minutes of the game, this one kind of just starts you off and really gets you to the gameplay as quickly as it can, which will make for replaying the opening a breeze in comparison to previous titles. But I do feel like at the same time, if someone were to come into this not being used to the Bethesda experience, they may be put off with how little there is at the very beginning of the game. 
One of my biggest pluses so far has been the gun combat for this. Um, you know, this has definitely been a significant improvement to anything that we got out of Fallout's, you know, gunplay. You know, everything feels a bit more punchy and there's a little bit more of a challenge in gunfights to me, especially since you're having to, you know, manage a lot more in this than you were in previous games. You know, I can't just run around and gun everyone down. I have to also pay attention to my oxygen levels. I have to make sure I'm not breathing in too much CO2. I have to make sure I'm not running out of ammo so quickly because I, because you know me, I start panicking and I fire and then I run out of bullets and it's you know a struggle to then find a corpse with the right kind of bullets for the guns that I already have because damn is my inventory filling up way too fast and making me over encumbered which then affects all my other stats all over again and makes it even harder for me to fight. I know that sounds daunting what I just said but I think it adds an interesting level of challenge and immersiveness to the fights that I feel like Fallout never really achieved for me. But I will say the part of the gameplay that's been the most lacking, in my opinion, has been the space combat. Um, I've seen from TikToks and videos online, um, you know, you can upgrade your ships, you know, guns and, you know, better target pieces of enemy ships. But when the game instructed me to do it with the ship that they gave me, it felt like at the whole time I was just blasting their hull instead of blasting the engines in which I was trying to do. It felt like any time I would like I couldn't untarget the ship that I was attacking and because I had it targeted, all my laser fire was going to the center of the ship, not the parts that I was trying to you know aim at. And still I got the results of you know checking out their engines. So that kind of irked me a little bit there. Um, there's also the feeling of the flights in general. Um, the video going around right now of Alana trying to reach one of the planets and you know it's clear that she's not getting any closer and when she tries to go further away from the planets it's clear that she's not going anywhere there in that direction too. And you know getting to get my hands on the game and you know actually experience that myself it really feels like you're the center of the universe and the sandbox that you're in is just kind of shifting you know closer and further away to you rather than you flying around inside of just a special area which i think is kind of a weird choice if that's how that works i'm sure it's not you know i'm sure that you are probably just flying around in a specific area that they've already created but it doesn't give you that same sense of movement that I would experience in other games similar to this. You know, this has a very similar um, flight build Star Wars Squadrons, which I feel like had, you know, this perfect example of what space combat should feel like, even though you're not able to fly down to planets in that game. There's just not enough maybe there in the vastness of space that they have so far at least from what I've run into, to really give you that sense that you are moving around in this area. You know, a lot of those squadron set pieces had like big ships, big crashes, big asteroids and stuff like that for you to float around and fly around. That definitely gave you more of a sense of actual movement compared to what I'm getting in this game. You know, this is a space exploration game, so you would hope that we'll the main thing that they would have achieved was that space flight feel but unfortunately i just don't feel like it's there right now and maybe through mods it could be better someday or they'll do an update after seeing so many people kind of give you that same review for it but on the surface everything else has been great um you know i'm enjoying the companion so far the dialogue options have been good i you know a lot of people were giving early reviews or early 
criticism saying that the game was cringy and very lame dialogue but i haven't run into anything that really came off weird to me it also doesn't feel like everyone's trying to be overly funny either you know everyone just ha so far feels like genuine people so i have no complaint there but right now i've only done some of the main missions i haven't gotten into any of the side um you know quests any of the faction stuff so i am excited to see you know what that experience will be like um i'm still going to meet more companions and such and we'll be building up our ships and all that so there's still a lot for me to do in this game but for right now i wanted to give you guys my you know earliest impressions of the first four hours of the experience Besides the launch of Starfield, we also had a couple stories this week that caught my attention. One being the official closing of Volition, the studio behind Saints Row and more games like um, Red Faction. Volition took a massive hit with the most recent Saints Row game, it being a big flop in the industry. Um, and even after being purchased by Embracer Group, the company has decided to close its doors after 30 years of making games. You know, I think a lot of people will never forget, you know, their first experiences in Red Faction and also um, the earlier Saints Row games. They were a great, you know, comedic style experience, you know, that definitely felt like the closest rival to what we were getting out of GTA for years. And I definitely feel like Volition gave me plenty of hours of great content um, in my childhood. So it is sad to see them go, but if they were going to continue to make games like this, um, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, that, that last Saints Row game was garbage. So I can't imagine them lasting much longer um, if that was the best that they could give out. But again, all those developers, um, I hope they do find, you know, new, job, new jobs in the industry and stuff like that. And I hope all is well for those. Uh, I hope it wasn't like this big shock to everyone that was working there. And the company did, it, you know, its due diligence to make sure everyone got paid. Another thing that came out this week was about PlayStation Plus. Uh, PlayStation fans were in for a rude awakening this week as the annual plans for PS Plus have gone up in price nearly 33 fucking percent. The service's annual essential plan will now go from $60 to $80. The extra plan is going from $100 to $135. And the premium plan is going from $120 to a whopping $160, $40 more than its original price. Um, I haven't been subscribed to PS Plus in quite a while. Um, I just don't use sony for any of its multiplayer experiences or online services um you know i just don't play those types of games that often and when i do i usually get them for pc so i just haven't run into that issue in quite a while but i do know quite a few people um that do actually have ps plus and i i can't imagine that they're too happy right now um seeing those plans continue to go up i mean all streaming services and such all online services lately have been raising their prices i mean we've seen you know game pass go up a couple dollars and stuff but to see something go from 120 to 160 is absolutely insane and i just don't know if that's worth what they're you know what they have to offer here all right, but lastly, before we move on, um, sources over at the Gaming Bible claim the next Gears of War game, um, Gears of War 6, could be pulling a Halo Infinite and making it an open world experience, and also aiming for a kind of late 2024 or maybe early 2025 release. Um, I did not 
mind this approach for Halo Infinite, though I can't say I really felt any purpose to it being open world. Um, Gears is an interesting enough franchise though. Um, I, you know, there's tons of different little factions within the enemy factions that I feel like could make for some cool zones and different areas for people to actually explore, especially in comparison to what we've gotten out of Halo. So I'm not gonna write this completely off, but I do want to say not everything needs to be an open world experience. Linear stories, you know, have Linear stories with intricate level designs can be just as fun and often tend to be more polished experiences in the end. So hopefully if they do go the open world route, Gears still gives you that same feel that the previous games have in the past. Could be a cool idea. Um, I'm just not 100% there for it just yet. But with that said, make sure to join me on Twitch and watch me play this massive uh, <laughs> space exploration game. Uh, we will be out next weekend um, as it is my grandfather's birthday so there won't be a stream for um, next Saturday and Sunday but I will be playing um, Starfield up until that weekend so make sure that you're you know stopping by our Twitch channel for that when I do return we will be going back to some Baldur's Gate 3 Horizon Forbidden West and of course even more Starfield uh, but for now let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling this is what AEW is it's about putting a person that was told you'll never do anything. You're too skinny. You're too short. You're just a little too different. I'm the champion. And I will continue to defend my championship for as long as I want. And there is nothing anyone can do to take it from me. John Moxley, you better bring more than just a fork because I will always be the international champion because I'm freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy and I do not have a catchphrase. Wow, how about that? Unlike all right, Christian, so this upcoming weekend, we've got AEW's All Out, so we thought we would go ahead and give our predictions before the show, but before that, uh, this past weekend, we had AEW's All In. What was your overall thoughts on the event? Not to get, like, super deep into it, but... I really love the stage. Like, I love the tunnel. Yes. And I kind of want them to do that on a regular show, just to have that, you know, LED screen that they had going on both sides. I thought that was a really cool effect um, for, uh, like, the wrestlers to come through. Especially when the camera was up in close on them, yes. right? Mm -hmm. I thought that was great. Um, it was a good compromise because they probably didn't want to do a huge stage setup so they can get as many people in the stadium yes. as possible, mm -hmm. which they obviously did. Uh, they have the all-time paid attendance record now uh, with over 81,000. Um, pretty insane um and they're definitely flaunting that as much as they could possibly can um, it's a little weird though because with like wwe they have these like kayfabe numbers uh -huh. um, which is you know more than eighty-one thousand. so it's like a question of whether or not like is wwe because you know it's underneath mcmahon's skin already that they have this record the AEW got this record but like wwe's kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place because they you know they want to book a stadium or you know even Wembley and break this all-time attendance record which they they could but then they would have to admit also that it's 
you know, all their other records are kind of bullshit. <laughs> so I don't know, like, unless they just go like, oh, we did 110,000 people. <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> so it is a, a strange, you know, situation. Um, any show highlights or low I mean, overall, it, it at least had that big event feel. I really enjoyed the main event. Um, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of the stadium stampede match. Um, I thought it was just too much comedy and maybe it's, you know, I'm, I, I, I forget how the other ones used to be, yes, but I guess which was all I'm, comedy. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had hangman on a fucking horse, you know, and Sammy Guevara getting, you know, run down by a golf cart. So, um, we didn't get any of that at least, you know, uh, you know, with this stadium stampede. Mm. So, I mean, I, I felt like this was probably a compromise for Moxley because he always said in the in the past that he would never do a stadium stampede. So, I mean, this to me felt more like uh, anarchy in the arena. But, you know, since they're in a stadium, they had to use the name. And especially since they just did anarchy in the arena, I'm sure they wanted to, you know, distance themselves a little from that. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, for me, I felt like the card kind of played out the way we kind of predicted. Um, whereas, you know, the build was the shits and you know the card was fantastic regardless <laughs> that seems to be kind of like the AEW trope lately which you know i'm not a huge fan of you know i would rather have a fantastic build and a fantastic card but it just feels right now like tony's booking has grown a little lazy because he knows he can rely on his talent to pull out a, a fantastic you know pay-per-view you know, regardless of the build up. I thought at the end of the day, though, that, you know, all in definitely delivered. Um, you know, I, I too loved the main event. I thought there was great storytelling. I was glad that they didn't end the friendship between Adam Cole and MJF. I thought that was really well done. It kept you on the edge of your seat the entire time. As kind of expected, I thought Osprey and Jericho shut up a lot of the critics, you know, when it came to that match, especially when that match was announced. Because Jericho, regardless of how you feel like he's been booked or how he's booked himself, if you will, um, he can still go when he wants to, especially in big moments like this. And Osprey is just a fucking superstar. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if it's true that he is a free agent in a couple of months. I mean, his asking price just went up tenfold. Um, the fact that, you know, he can perform at this high level on this big of a stage. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, the guy is going to be making a lot of money in the near future. <laughs> so He's been such a New Japan loyalist for so long. I just can't imagine him, you know, jumping ship. Yeah, but New Japan's going to have to fucking open up their pocketbook then, you know, their checkbook mm -hmm. to uh, make sure that they, you know, keep him because I'm sure Tony's going to be offering him the world. And I also wouldn't be surprised if WWE doesn't go after him with a big offer. So, um, you know, I don't think he would want to go there, but I feel like they're going to make it hard for him to turn it down. Mm -hmm. um, also, uh and we might as well address, you know, the 500-pound gorilla in the room. I also loved the CM Punk Samoa Joe match. I thought it was a great way to start off the card. Unfortunately, it came attached with a lot of backstage drama, which seems like, you know, CM Punk's MO nowadays, which I guess we reluctantly have to talk about briefly, because uh, we're going to be talking about the all-out pay-per-view and 
there's going to be one match not happening because of all this, uh, which is, you know, of course, Punk versus Ricky Starks. So in a match on the pre-show, right before Punk's match, actually, uh, we had Jungle Boy versus Hook. uh, But at one point in the match, Jungle Boy knocks on the windshield of a limo that, you know, he made his entrance in. Uh, and says something, and I'm paraphrasing, real glass, deal with it. Obviously addressing the backstage argument I guess he had with Punk a month or two ago, uh, where Punk basically told uh, Jack that he couldn't use real glass in one of the segments, that, you know, we don't do that here on Collision. Now, there's obviously two sides of the story. One side is saying that Punk was actually asked to confront Jack about this, like a lot of people, a lot of higher ups was telling Jack no, uh, and they wanted Punk to kind of, you know, talk sense into Jack. Um, but I guess, you know, Jack's side felt like Punk was just attacking him because he's an elite guy. You know, he's friends with the Bucks. So, I fucking hate all this shit, Christian. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking about an episode of Degrassi, you know, junior high or something at uh-huh. this point. It's just ridiculous. These are grown fucking men. What are we doing? You know, and this is like the biggest show in the company's history. And like, we're talking about this instead of the fucking card. Uh, anyway, so I guess when Jack went backstage, Punk, who was waiting in Gorilla, said, do we have a problem? Some accounts say Jack, you know, gave him a big shoulder and walked past him. And that got, you know, Jack and Punk into a shoving match. Uh, Other accounts say that, you know, Jack didn't back down, but Punk initiated the physicality, uh, which eventually ended with Punk putting Jack in a chokehold of sort. Apparently, Samoa Joe was the one who broke them up. There was tons of witnesses, one actually being Tony Khan. Um, But then I guess Punk didn't want to go out for their match after that took place. He he allegedly told people that he hates, you know, this place and, you know, told Tony Khan that he quits and uh, just threw a temper tantrum. If any of this is true, who knows? We weren't there. But Joe was eventually able to convince Punk to go out for their match. Uh, Joe was said to be furious, though. Um, and maybe that's why he put a little mustard into, like, throwing <laughs> Punk through the bottom of that announce table. Because that felt legit. Uh, but shit was so heated to the point where they were actually scrambling, trying to get another match ready to open the show. Because they... They didn't think Punk was going to go out there. But once again, like, I can't imagine the headspace you have to be in where you're about to literally wrestle in front of the biggest audience you've ever wrestled in front of. The biggest audience in wrestling history, actually. Um, You know, in one of the biggest matches of your entire career. And instead of being focused on the task at hand, you're worried about some fucking petty bullshit that someone said half your fucking age. Like, be the adult in the room for once, you know, and turn the other cheek or or deal with it later on. Not like mm-hmm. right before you're about to fucking, you know, wrestle in front of 81,000 people. <laughs> like, stop being I mean, so fucking selfish. 
from all accounts, he practically runs fucking Collision. So, okay, Jungle Boy never allowed on Collision ever again, essentially. Which is ridiculous to even say, but yes. Yes, but yeah, I, I mean... He wants to be a role model. He wants to be a leader and be the grown-up in the room, but he's doing everything but that, right? Uh-huh. Just, uh It's so frustrating because I love CM Punk as a wrestler. Like, I, I, I love Collision. I love, you know, having him back in the company. But he's been a headache ever since. Um, Right now, like, there's a, a pending investigation, which doesn't make any sense to sure. me since there's multiple witnesses. And one of them was fucking Tony Khan. <laughs> and that what? area is usually heavily under cameras yes, and well, shit, too. I guess so. there's actual footage. Okay. So it's like, what's taking so long on this decision? It just sounds more like indecisiveness with your leadership, you know, or lack of, right? Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with an actual investigation. That's bullshit. Like, I I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm so sick of talking about this shit. I really am. Um, So most likely punks off of all out. Um, which is hilarious because it's at the United Center in Chicago. So um, now, obviously, all those tickets are pretty much sold, but it's definitely going to hurt the pay-per-view, um, as we see with the matches that they announced for the card. Because <laughs> it's a bit lackluster. Um, it's probably, mm-hmm. I want to say, the weakest show that they've ever had on pay-per-view at this point. Um, you know, which is weird because we thought the reason why all ins booking was strange was because they were trying to hold things back for all out. But apparently that's not the case, because what we're getting here is almost like a hybrid, like AEW ROH show. It feels very thrown together last minute. Um you know, even if Punk and Starks was taking place on this card, it would still be a weaker card because you don't really have any of your main titles being defended, which is just insane to me. Like, I understand that AEW is going to be doing more pay-per-views now, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you can phone shit in because these are still pay-per-views that people have to pay $50 to see. Like, this isn't a case like, you know, WWE's pay-per-views or PLEs, whatever the hell they call them nowadays, where, you know, all you need is a $9 subscription to Peacock and you can, you know, watch all you want. Like, people are paying good money to see this fucking Mm -hmm. show. So you can't just half-ass it and give us this weird hybrid fucking ROH bullshit. You know, nothing gets ROH, but, but I don't watch the product. So when you tell me... We're getting Samoa Joe versus uh, Shane Taylor. Am I saying his name right? Yeah, that's correct. I'm like, what? What what are you talking about? Now, apparently there was a huge tournament that Shane Taylor won to get this match. But I don't know. This just feels kind of like thrown together last minute. I just can't fathom booking two pay-per-views pretty much in the same week and not feeling like I have to over-deliver to get people's hard-earned money. You know, like, why would you think that people who just paid $50 for a show at Wembley Stadium, like, why would you think that people who just paid $50 to see what you've, you know, deemed your biggest show of all time at Wembley Stadium would then want to turn around and pay $50 
to watch a show that feels just completely thrown together and, and really feels more like a glorified dynamite than anything. I'm going to stop ranting here because <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to start up again in a little bit once we start going through the card. And we will talk a little more about what happened during All In as we break down, you know, this pay-per-view. Um, and Because once again, I want to give AEW their flowers because it was one hell of a show. It's probably their best pay-per-view of the year, bar none. Um, but it sure is frustrating, some of these choices that they're making. Um, you know, the, you know, leaving the whole CM Punk of it all out of it. I mean, it just, I don't, I don't understand what's going on with this company right now. Well, you mentioned Samoa Joe versus Shane Taylor. Do you got a pick for that? For uh, the uh, <laughs> Ring right, of so Honor we'll, World Television we'll start Championship? There, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing Samoa Joe. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, he won a tournament, but, and maybe it's a good angle for Ring of Honor's like, show, but I'm not watching Ring of Honor, if so I have no idea. If you want to let the air out of the building, you have Shane Taylor go over. Well, I because mean, he just, Samoa Joe just, you know, lost a big match with Punk. So then you have that excuse, right? No, you don't. No? <laughs> no, <laughs> Samoa Joe has to go over here. <laughs> like, I'm sure half of the audience there, more than half the audience, are going to be like, who the fuck is Shane Taylor? Nothing against <laughs> Shane Taylor. Like, if you're a fan of ROH, that's great. But we know the stats. Like, like not many people even have the ROH app to watch the show. So mm. a good portion of the audience is going to have no idea who Shane Taylor is. And I'm sure they're going to have one hell of a match. But at the end of the day, like, I don't foresee Shane Taylor going over here. Samoa Joe is your bigger star. Unless it's a case of them wanting to get Samoa Joe off of ROH TV. And this is, you know, his like full indoctrination into like AEW, which I don't think is going to happen. So because right now, apparently ROH and AEW being kind of like mixed brands is a thing again. Um, Because you remember a while back once they started the streaming service, like they were saying, oh yeah, we're done with ROH titles being defended on AEW TV. Well, guess what? We're not because it's happening nope. all the time again. And now it's actually <laughs> making up half a fucking all out. I know Tony Khan has like a soft spot for ROH, but it's to the detriment of AEW at this point. But yes, Samojo's going over. Um, I don't know. I'm going to give it to Shane Taylor. Uh... <laughs> It won't be spectacular, but maybe like it'll have such a good match that you know he's going to win over the crowd. Over. Yeah, he's going to win over the crowd. Okay, you know, awesome. You die in that cross, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. Um, up next, I have Eddie Kingston and Shibata going up against the Blackpool Combat Clubs, Claudio and Wheeler. Now, we had Kingston versus Wheeler Yuta on Dynamite. And now Dynamite was a strange show, to say the least, um, you know, especially as a follow up to All In. Um, but I guess a lot of that was out of Tony Khan's hands. There was travel issues. And I guess a lot of the roster got sick while they were over there. Um, so they were kind of scrambling last minute to put a show together. Um, but on the show, we had Wheeler Yuta versus Eddie Kingston. Kingston went over, and then after the match, Claudio came out and, you know, helped roll out Yuta and then just completely ignored Kingston as he walked to the back. Now, I assume this was going to be setting up a match between Claudio and Kingston <laughs> for the pay-per-view. 
But instead, we're getting Shibata and Kingston versus Wheeler and Claudio, which feels like a match that could probably take place on ROH TV. But instead, it's taking place on an AEW pay-per-view for some reason. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm sure the match is going to be fine, but it just feels like a match for match sake at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure eventually it's, you know, I, I'm guessing that's to build up Kingston versus Claudio. But at this point, I don't feel like it needs to be built up any further. That's like, exactly what I've been saying. I'm like, why haven't they just been their singles match and gotten it over with? Well, Kingston was, you know, overseas in Japan, you know, wrestling at the, you know, in the G1. But, okay. you know. Now, at this point, yeah, you can just move forward. But, like, handle this shit on fucking ROH. I don't want to see it. <laughs> I'm going to be saying this a lot tonight. But, you know, it's just like, okay. I'm glad you got, you know, Kingston on the pay-per-view. But I don't know, man. It just feels like it's just, you know, a match for match sake once again. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to say Claudio and Wheeler are going to go over here, actually. Um, just to kind of get them more heat. Wheeler just, you know took a loss combat club took a loss at all in so this kind of gets them back you know on track um you know and you've got kingston kind of fighting from underneath you know against claudio uh when they do eventually wrestle for the time that's fair i mean blackpool comic club just got a big loss so i'm I, I fear like a win is in order for them to continue this feud all right up next i have miro versus powerhouse hobbs i have no clue uh, Honestly, oh, okay. both these guys need to win. So um, <laughs> I feel like Miro needs to win more. Do you? Maybe. Okay, so maybe Miro gets the win and Hobbs finally breaks ties completely with uh, QT TV. Because I thought be nice. I thought that was over with, but apparently it's not. So no, maybe- we we have to drag every weird faction on for as long as we can. That's uh, what we do in AEW, Damon. Well. You know, so I'm guessing like this will actually be Hobbs' full babyface turn. Um, Miro gets the win. Hobbs loses the match because of something QTTV does, and then we see Hobbs finally break completely away from them and maybe get a babyface run. So I, I I agree, Miro gets the win, and we didn't even mention the Miro element of the whole All In story with Punk, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. All right, uh, up next we have the AEW TNT Championship between Luchasaurus and Darby Allen. Of course, Christian Cage will be at ringside. So I think Darby picks up the win here and, you know, he reestablishes the prestige of the TNT title because it's definitely lost some of its shine, you know, the past year. I guess that makes the most sense just because I don't know where they're going to go with this Christian Cage Luchasaurus, like who's the real champion business. Like is because they haven't shown any inkling of Luchasaurus no, being like not upset all. or you know, like frazzled by this. He's just a mindless uh, beast out there. Yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Darby Allen. That's fine. I mean, I really enjoyed Darby Allen as TNT champion. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, he has a, a similar title reign. Uh I'm just wondering, like, if Wardlow is going to eventually factor in again. I don't know where the hell he is. I don't know if he's actually injured and we just haven't heard anything about it. Um, But you got to figure at some point he makes some kind of return. I mean, maybe it's Wardlow who comes out and, like, chases away Christian or something like that. Because, like, we haven't seen him since he lost the belt, since that first episode of Collision. 
All right, we also have the AWTBS Championship between Chris Statlander and Ruby Soho. Statlander. Yeah, I think Statlander is going to win. Um, I am still hoping for another feud with Athena. I feel like, you know, especially since we have so many Ring of Honor talents on this, it would be a good opportunity to bring her up. There was a rumor that Athena might be getting a pre-match um, here hmm. uh, defending the ROH title. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, it, it's time that Athena, you know, uh, is at least on AWTV. Like, I mean, both Joe and Claudio have ROH titles and they can still cross over to AWTV. So I don't understand why Athena can't. Me neither. And she would be such a huge addition to that, like, division. So I, I don't get it. Well, there's only time for one women's match per show. So there isn't room for her right now. I apologize. Oh, God. I'm not going to start on that. I can't. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. All right. Uh, we have the Better Than You, Bebe, versus the Dark Order. Um, yes. Uh, this is for the Ring of Honor uh, Tag Team Championship. Yes. The Dark Order apparently, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, but the Dark Order apparently wins the Battle Royal on Rampage. You know, for the number one contendership for this title, uh, I was absolutely flabbergasted, like reading that results, because I just assumed the kingdom was in mm -hmm, this match and they sense, were setting yes. up the kingdom first, <laughs> you know, better than you, baby. Since we had a whole segment dedicated to Adam Cole and the kingdom and Roddy Strong. Um, but nope, I, I guess we're going to fucking draw that shit out, too. <laughs> just... I don't understand what the fuck is happening. Like, did fucking Tony Khan forget that there was a pay-per-view this weekend? <laughs> like, <laughs> like Dark Order, like, we haven't seen them in how long? They've been on ROH TV for the last, like, couple months. I think the last time we saw Dark Order was uh, when they were wrestling against Hangman, right? When they had their little mini feud with Hangman. Yes, and... They were getting involved in random but it was shit just like that they didn't belong two in. Two but... months ago, you have not mm -hmm. established them as an actual threat for this title whatsoever. You know, at least on AEW TV. So the fact that they won a battle royal to, you know, get this pay-per-view match just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, the, you know, I mean, this is just a glorified fucking dynamite match once again. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with MJF and Adam. Cole. Same here. I'm just hoping at least that the kingdom come out and attack or something at the end some, to build something. Yeah. Some kind of storyline progression. Yeah. That'd be yes. nice. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, like I like dark order. I, I think it's going to be an entertaining match. It just doesn't feel like this is pay-per-view worthy though. And I mean, that's not their fault. That's the booking's fault. All right. Uh, after this, we have, Kenny Omega versus Kanosuke Takeshita. I think Takeshita's going to win. Okay. I, yeah, I can see it. I think you got to put him on the map here. I think, you know, I think Takeshita wins. You establish him as a main event star in the company. Um, You know, eventually Omega can get his revenge, you know, in, in a rematch. And maybe you have new members of Don Callis' family debut, and that ends up costing the match for Omega. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like you need to put Takeshita over here to get him over, if that makes sense. I believe they said something like Omega hasn't won a single uh, singles match since Don Callis' turn. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I would hope that they would continue that on and give Takeshita the big rub here. 
because I feel like as as we've been talking about each week, Takeshita just hasn't had that much time to really be built up outside of these big group matches, and yeah. this would be a huge moment for him. Yeah, we need to see him wrestling singles more after this mm-hmm. too. Like, just push like how talented he is and what a threat he really is um, to the main event scene. I mean, he looked great on All In. No, like, he had some great moments there. No, because he is great. But they have to fucking feature him once in a while, uh-huh. right? <laughs> Instead of just throwing him into these giant tag matches. But that seems to be all that AEW does nowadays. You know, it's become such a crutch to get like everyone on the card, and you know, at some point. Not everyone needs to be on the card. I mean, Tony Khan seems like he suffers from, like, nice guy syndrome. Like, he's trying to please everyone. But sometimes you have to do what's right by the company. And, you know, some people just have to sit in catering. Um, It is what it is. Well, all right. For our final match here, we have Orange Cassidy versus John Moxley with Orange Cassidy's 323-plus day reign as AEW International Champion is in jeopardy. So I will say on Dynamite, Orange and Penta had an amazing match. Um, definitely check that out if you haven't. Um, and then afterwards, Orange uh, got on the mic and, and then uncharacteristically like cut an impassioned promo that really sold me on this being the main event of the card. Um, Moxley came out. They had a face-off. It was really intense and just really well done. Uh, so I could definitely see Moxley versus Cassidy being the main event of All In, especially now that we know that we're probably not going to have um, Starks versus Punk. Uh, although they did announce that on Collision, we're going to have Starks challenging Steamboat to a strap match. <laughs> um, okay. I'm all for Steamboat getting his revenge in some shape or form but at the same time i don't want to see a full match with a 70 year old ricky the dragon steamboats out there um now i have seen highlights from his last match which took place i believe last year and he still throws a mean fucking arm drag i will say that but a full match i don't know uh so i mean maybe punk's not suspended maybe we do have this match take place or maybe we have like a stand-in for Steamboat against Starks. Because uh, I feel like Starks is still going to get on this pay-per-view. But regardless, um, yeah, I, I feel like Mox and uh, Cassidy... Mark. But regardless, I feel like Mox and Cassidy deserve to be in the main event um, of this show. Um, I think Cassidy's going to win. Really? I think Moxley's going to win. I think he's going to finally... It's going to be the main him. event of the show. I think you end on a good note and you have Cassidy go over um, beating Mox. And then when you do have Cassidy eventually lose that belt, you've kind of set up Cassidy for the main event picture. Cause that would be probably Cassidy's biggest win yet. Right. In AEW. Yeah. So, oh. I mean, he beat did Jericho. He, he did uh, beat yeah, Jericho, but it was mm-hmm. that fucking, the orange <laughs> mimosa right? yes, match yes, or whatever yes <laughs> so um you know he threw jericho in a fucking you know play pool of of fucking orange juice so i mean i don't know if that counts 
but uh, he did beat Adam Cole, but still, it, they're not John Moxley at the end of the day. I mean, Moxley's in his prime right now, and Moxley, I feel like, is a bigger name than Cole. Like, he's a, a former world champion in your company. So, I mean, Cassidy going over Moxley is a big fucking deal. So I think that will set him up for the main event picture down the line. Um, and a good way to kind of, like, put a bow on this title reign. Um, and then he could drop the title to someone else, you know, in the near future. Because uh, I feel like it, the time is coming. I'm just wondering if this is going to be a way to kind of give Cassidy his flowers for this, you know. I'm just wondering if this is going to be a way to give, like, Cassidy his flowers for this epic run. Because it, it it has been probably one of the best things on, you know, AWTV. I mean, you could definitely argue that Cassidy has become, if not, is one of the most solidified, you know, pillars with quotation marks of AEW that especially that NJF hasn't even mentioned or fought since 2020, uh, which is crazy to think that they haven't really interacted since then that much. I, I agree a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I, I think his time is coming soon. I'm not saying he's going to win the world title, but I could really see him having like a prolonged like chase after it. Well, I'm sticking with John Moxley just because I feel like if anyone's going to break it off of him at this point, it, it could be Moxley. Um, especially with like you have every excuse in the world to take it off of him right now if they really wanted to I mean honestly with the shape that Cassidy's in I mean I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Cutler doesn't go for him <laughs> so uh, but yeah no I think Cassidy gets the win here um, I don't know do we miss any matches I think we might have forgot the eight man uh, the Bullet Club Gold versus the Young Bucks and FTR match yes that also feels like a glorified dynamite match right um mm-hmm. once again like i don't understand the tag titles not being defended on this card i know you have the roh belts you know be tag belts being defended but it's not the same thing i mean um and then like the women's title isn't being defended even though soraya is going to be wrestling on collision because at first i thought it was you know due to illness but she's wrestling on collision she should okay. be healthy enough to go at the pay-per-view so maybe that match gets added like we get a you know women's title match added um i know that sounds silly because usually we typically only get one women's match per show with AEW. but i mean they have done two women title defenses on uh pay-per-view before so um i could see soraya versus you know Britt baker maybe because Britt did have sheeta in the uh, lockjaw as yes. uh soraya got the pin so um maybe they set that up you know, on collision, who knows? But then once again, I mean, the world title is not being defended on the show, so I shouldn't really be surprised by anything. Uh, yeah, but who you got for this eight man? I, <laughs> what I'm trying to say, Christian, is I, I just don't fucking care. Because uh, <laughs> it's a fucking eight man tag. Uh, uh, it, it just, like, why couldn't this be a fucking triple threat tag match, you know, for the titles? I I don't know. I'd be a little more interested. I'll, I'll tell you that. Like, what, like why did you have the Bucks not shake FTR's hand, only like to like shake their hands backstage, you know, on Dynamite? Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't make any sense. That's dumb. What What are we doing? Um, God damn it. Uh, so anyway, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Bullet Club Gold goes over here. 
Uh, yeah. And like things get heated between FTR and the Bucks and we get another match out of it. That's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, you give Bullet Club Gold another big win here, um, you know, because it's not for the titles. You don't have to worry about it, you know, you know, affecting the titles at all. So they don't get them right away. Maybe this sets up also a title match for them in the future, you know, between whatever happens with the Young Bucks and FTR. Um, you know, it'll be a great match yeah, whoever they like, fight yeah. against it either way. So Yeah, which you would have to think that means that the Bucks probably go over FTR if they do have a rematch of some sort because, you know, Bullet Club Gold just, you know, lost against FTR recently on collision, you know, going after those titles in an epic fucking match, but um I don't know. I don't know. I I just don't understand this booking, but it is what it is. Unless this match is to set up that three-way match that you want in the future. I don't even know if I want it. I just want something. <laughs> I want uh-huh. the title to be defended. <laughs> I don't think that's so much. I mean, if I'm paying $50 for this pay-per-view, I want to see some fucking title defenses. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm done ranting. I'm tired. <laughs> Join us next week as we review AW All Out. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. What an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that?